When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Samini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. This will be my 34th consecutive year covering the Jets. Here we are on the doorstep of another season. And yeah, it still feels new. It still feels exciting. And I can tell you when I'm driving to MetLife Stadium on Sunday morning, it's going to be pretty cool. You know, it gets a little, uh, feel those nerves a little bit, a little enthusiasm. It's a new season. There's new hope. There's new optimism. And for the Jets' sake, for you guys' sake, the fans, you hope the Jets can turn this around. It's a very, very interesting opener, Jets and Ravens. Now, we are taping this before Robert Sala's Wednesday press conference when he will announce his starting quarterback. From all indications, I expect it to be Joe Flacco. I think Zach Wilson is getting closer. No doubt. I think maybe there's a 10 to 20% chance he starts on Sunday. But from everything I've heard over the last few weeks, even this week, all indications point to at least one start for Flacco, which would be kind of cool because he'd be facing the Ravens. Everybody knows he played for the Ravens from 2008 to 2018, helped them to a Super Bowl in 2012. So a really interesting matchup. We're going to dive into that a little bit later, but let me mention our guest in the second segment. None other than former Jets great Joe Klecko. I can't tell you how excited I am to talk to Joe, who, of course, was recently named a senior finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Keep our fingers crossed for Joe that he is in Canton next August, which I think he will be. But first, I want to dive into some season predictions. Going to break out the crystal ball here, get specific predictions and let's just roll with it here. I, I can't vouch for the accuracy of these things, but, hey, that's what it's all about. That makes sports talk fun. And let me start off with this one. Brees Hall, i very impressed with this young running back. I know the Jets organization is just giddy with his potential. I'm going to predict that he breaks the franchise rookie rushing record, 948 yards. That was set a lifetime ago by Matt Snell in 1964 when he came out of Ohio State, ran for 948. I I think Brees Hall can do it. I'm going to predict that for Brees Hall. Another prediction, tight end Tyler Conklin. I think he gets at least 60 catches this year. I think that would be the most for a Jets tight end since Dustin Keller had 65 in 2011. I think he's going to do it. Uh, impressive preseason. I think he's going to be a safety blanket for the quarterback. Elijah Moore. I think he gets 75 receptions this year. I think he'll lead the team in receptions. My Zach Wilson prediction. Uh, You know, I do think he'll probably start in week two against Cleveland. Uh, I just think he's going to get injured again this year. You know, durability is a concern with him. He's had two knee injuries. Don't think he's going to make it all the way through 
So I think you'll see more Flacco later in the year. Uh, I think he will play much better than he did last year. Zach Wilson I'm talking about. I can see something like 19 touchdown passes and 10 interceptions. I think he will be better, more comfortable in this offense. But I don't think he's going to be good to the point where it erases all the questions. I think at the end of the year, there still will be some questions about his durability and overall upside. So that's what I see from Zach Wilson this year. A better year, but not quite where he needs to be. The offensive line, I see a slow start. But I do think they will wind up a good offensive line. Too much experience, too much talent on that line to expect anything less. I just expect some growing pains early on. Denzel Mims, have a feeling he's going to get traded. I mean, he's on the roster for now. If they can stay healthy into October, and we course we come around the trading deadline, which I, is November 2nd, I could see him going to Carolina. If a team gets desperate and loses a player, I think they would offer a fourth rounder. The Jets are looking for a fourth rounder, so I think Mims goes if they can get that fourth rounder. Corey Davis, I think he's going to have a bounce-back year because he's in great shape. He dropped some weight, and I think he's going to have a bounce-back year. But my prediction for him, when we get into late October, I think his name will be circulating in some of the trade rumors. Uh, There are some teams out there that I know are interested in Corey Davis, some wide receiver needy teams. Corey is under contract through next year, but the guaranteed money runs out at the end of this year. And if Garrett Wilson is doing well with Elijah Moore and Braxton Berrios, I think the trade rumors will surface. Now, I'm not saying the Jets will trade Corey Davis. I'm just saying his name might come up in trade rumors. Carl Lawson, I predict double-digit sacks. He had a really good training camp. He stayed healthy. He took pretty much almost every rep you would expect him to take. So things looking up for Carl Lawson. Quan Alexander, an 11th-hour addition before training camp. I say he replaces Quincy Williams in the nickel defense as they're one of their two linebackers. Very impressive guy. Brings a certain edge to the defense. Jermaine Johnson, for a couple of different reasons, I think he's going to have a disappointing year. Number one, he's just stuck behind so many players. The Jets really go about six deep at defensive end, and that's a lot. So his reps have been limited this summer. Uh, I have not seen you know, tremendous flashes from him. Quite frankly, Michael Clemens has been more impressive. So I think this might be a a real learning season for Jermaine Johnson. Their defense. I'm going to predict a top 20 defense, a finish for their defense. They have more playmakers at cornerback this year. They have a deep defensive line. I I just think they're going to go from 32 in total defense to about 20. They have the talent to do so. And I think the players will be much more comfortable in their scheme this year. Quinnen Williams, I am predicting a Pro Bowl for Quinnen. He's in a contract year, and he's healthy. He knows this scheme better. I think there was some adjustment last year to the scheme. There was also that foot injury that took him a while to get over. This year, everything is checking the right box. So I'm going to predict a Pro Bowl for Quinnen Williams. I think their Achilles heel on defense is going to be the safety position. LaMarcus Joyner, I'm not confident in his ability to stay healthy the entire year. He's undersized. Jordan Whitehead, a good addition to the defense, but he's undersized as well. And I think the Jets are going to struggle against teams that really use their tight end. 
And that really segues right into this week's matchup against the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens have a really, really good tight end in Mark Andrews. He is their number one receiving target, and that's going to pose a problem for the Jets right out of the, right out of the shoot in week one. They also have Nick Boyle, and they have a rookie, Isaiah Likely, who's also impressed, kid out of coast, Coastal Carolina. So we know they're Ravens. They're not great at wide receiver, uh, but they are good at tight end, and they will come at you with multiple tight end formations. And so the Jets are going to have to be aware of that. A lot of people are writing off the Jets in this game. I think they have a chance, and let me, just a couple of reasons why. Baltimore has a new defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald. He's been with them before, then he went to Michigan, came back as a defensive coordinator to replace Wink Martindale. Uh, It's a new defense. I mean, there is some carryover because McDonald was with the Ravens, but it's a a new defense, new terminology, so there's going to be an adjustment period. And uh, I think sometimes we we underestimate that. Number two, the Ravens did not play any of their key starters in the preseason, most notably Lamar Jackson. A couple of the younger guys played a little bit. For the most part, they did not. I mean, you talk about rust factor. I mean, we get on the Jets because their starters and their offensive line only played 21 snaps together in the preseason. Imagine what it's like for the Ravens. They have no continuity coming out of the preseason. So that is going to be a factor. No matter how good you are, you just can't go from training camp practices to a regular season game and not expect a few hiccups along the way, even for Lamar Jackson, as great as he is. So I think those are factors in the Jets' favor uh, against them. Look, no rust or not, the Ravens have two really good cover corners in Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey. That's going to be a real problem for the Jets. That's why I think you could see the Jets, much like the Ravens, running a tight end-based offense. That's why I think Conklin and Uzama will be factors for the Jets. I think Lamar Jackson, you know, he might be a little rusty early in the game, but he's coming into this season with a chip on his shoulder. Uh, As of this taping, he had not received that long-term extension. Uh, I think that plays into his mindset. He will have a chip on his shoulder. And we just know he is such an incredibly good athlete. It's going to pose a lot of problems for the Jets. Baltimore has a diverse running game. Not only do they have the best running quarterback in the league, they have a zone read system. They're using a gap system. It's very diverse. The Jets' run defense, I think, is a little bit shaky. You know, they do not have that powerful run-stuffing defensive tackle. They had Foley Fadakasi last year. He's gone. We know that. The Jets have been preparing for this scheme for really a few months. Jeff Albrecht telling us that they started, you know, looking at Baltimore concepts way back in the spring. It's not Coaches usually don't admit that. They don't want to let other teams, especially their opponent, know that they're spending so much time on them. But the Jets have. They've been preparing for Baltimore concepts sprinkling it in throughout OTAs and mini camp and training camp. So it's still, it's a difficult scheme in week one to prepare for. And so that's, that I think will be the difference in the game. I see a really close competitive game. I just see Lamar Jackson making a couple of Lamar Jackson kind of plays. So that's why I'm picking Baltimore 23-20 in this game. 
And uh, it's a tough assignment for the Jets coming out of the box like this, facing a defense like that with good guys on the perimeter, perimeter and Peters and, and DeLamar and uh, Humphrey. That's why I think the Jets' passing game could be thrown off a little bit. Joe Flacco, I mean, his head is there. His mind is into it. He's experienced. He's just immobile. And I think if they can get him on the run, it's not going to be a good thing. You saw it against the Giants in the preseason. When Joe's on the run, he doesn't make great decisions. He had that pick six in the preseason. So, you know, I I think Joe will start this game. And I do think, I don't think he'll cost him the game, but I also don't think he's going to win him the game either. Whereas Zach Wilson gives you that off-script dimension, the ability to extend plays, which I think would have been really helpful against a team like Baltimore, especially with a reshuffled offensive line. The Jets, assuming Flacco starts, will be the first team in NFL history to start a 37-year-old quarterback and a 37-year-old tackle, that, of course, being Dwayne Brown. Probably not a great recipe for success. So, again, the Jets have a chance. They will play competitively, but I like Baltimore 23-20. As for my season prediction, I'm going to go 6-11 for the Jets. I think they will have a stronger finish. I just think this schedule early on, coupled with the rebuilt offensive line, with a lot of young players, especially at the offensive skill positions, I can see some early growing pains. I do think this team will hit its stride after you know November 1st, when the schedule gets better and these players get more comfortable. So I think the season will end on an up note, but it's going to be 6-11 and as far as I can see back after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm thrilled to introduce our guest. He's New York Jets royalty, recently named one of three senior finalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Of course, uh, none other, other than the great Joe Klecko. Joe, thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, my pleasure, big guy. Yeah, so Joe, it's uh, it's been a crazy th- few weeks for you. Of course, in, in mid-August, you got the word that you were one of the three finalists. And I'm wondering, what's it been like? You know, has it has it sunk in yet? Uh, you know, the more people talk about it, the more I get used to it. You know, uh, there's still that part of me that just won't let go because, you know, uh, you know, uh, really just having that hang over your head that 80 percent of it have to, you know, uh, get the uh, final OK from the voters. It's still it's, it's like the check's not in the bank yet, I say. Right. That's a good analogy uh, for the listeners who, who aren't aware. So the full committee will vote in late January. That's about 50 members. And the, the senior finalists need at least 80 percent of the vote to become officially Hall of Famers. And from based on recent history, uh, this is this is kind of a formality. As one committee member described it to me, it's like going into the fourth quarter with a four touchdown lead. So it looks pretty good. And yeah, that's, is, that's, a, that's a very good analogy. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're almost there. You're almost across the goal line. But, you know, Joe, you waited so long. 
you know, it, it, it's like between being a modern era candidate and then a senior candidate, it's been like 30 something years. Did it ever get to the point where you were just like, uh, yeah, I'm giving, I'm giving up on this? No, not really. Because of course you always, my God, you know, like I said, there's only 360 people out of 25,000 guys that played this game. There's only 360 some people in the hall of fame. That's a pretty good plateau to reach. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to ever, you know, be awarded with that plateau, you know, you always look forward to it. So as far as giving it up, no, I never, ever, ever gave up on it, you know, because, you know, it's something I'd like to have my family involved with. And, you know, it, it'll involve everybody the day it happens, you know, it involve everybody that, that's close to me. Yeah. And yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And like, I don't know if the listeners know this. So the committee, you know, met in mid, mid August and they talk about all the candidates and there are so many good candidates, uh, as you mentioned, like there's so much quality out there. And so I, from what I understand, I think one of the guys who was inputting into the committee was Dick Vermeil, who of course just got in the hall of fame as a coach. And he made a really good comment that I think resonated with a lot of the voters on the senior committee. He, he, you know, he said you were Aaron Donald before Aaron Donald, you know, back in the seventies and eighties. And I, I'm pretty sure you're aware of that comment when you heard that from Dick Vermeil, you know, what goes through your mind? You know, it was funny. And that's, I was aware of it, but just about a month before that, we were at a banquet together, Dick and I, he was being awarded by the, uh, Philadelphia sports writers uh, and I was on a dais with my son Danny and uh, Dick had mentioned he goes you know they said I was a very smart coach he goes I couldn't have been that smart if I'd let Joe Klecko go and he was right here at Temple University right next to me and then when he made that comment like of course which you know why he was there they give a coach or a player to the to the voters to bounce things off of and what better a person than Nick Vermeil, coach for so many years. And uh, Dick made the comments about ha having to game plan for me uh, as if, you know, they do for Aaron Donald. That was a tremendous compliment by, by Coach Vermeil. And I, like you said, I really think it kind of rung a bell with the people there who didn't really know much about my career because, again, it's been a long time. But uh, I think that really woke them up. Yeah. Well, maybe it's been a long time, but you're the only player in history who to make the Pro Bowl at three different positions on the defensive line, which is kind of mind-boggling when you think about it. Uh, so that is quite a feather in your cap. But, Joe, your, your career, really, your life could be like a movie. You've had an incredible <laughs> life. I mean, I don't know if the fans know it. Like, F, you know, you didn't go right to college as some highly recruited player out of high school you played semi-pro football I believe for the Aston Knights in a in a small semi-pro league in Pennsylvania and I think correct me if I'm wrong you played under the assumed name of Jim Jones yeah maybe pick up the story there I find that so fascinating well it was uh unique because I, I didn't get any offers to go to uh college because uh uh my grades and all like that I guess and so when it came time for the coaches, you know, they passed me by pretty easily, I guess. And uh, I actually missed playing football. So 
there was this team called the Aston Knights and a guy by the name of Moose Moran, who was a fellow uh, St. James uh, alumni of mine, too, said, Joe, there's guys that they're playing that, you know, were you were playing with and some ex-pros and college players. And I think you'd like to come out. So I said, man, I'd love to. So I actually went out to play. And uh, it's funny because I attribute my girlfriend, now my wife, Debbie, to my career. Reason being that is, is uh, we pulled up on the field that day. It was like a, you know, a small little dirt field, like in the neighborhood almost. And uh, I wasn't going to get out of car because I was intimidated. And my wife took the keys out of the ignition and threw them out the window, <laughs> knowing that I had to get out and they would see me. <laughs> so I got out and they seen me and said, oh, Joe, come on over, come on over. And I gave her that death stare, like, how could you do this to me? But wow. here, go to think of it, uh, that's how my career started with the Aston Knights. Wow, that's incredible. I didn't know that story. So really, Debbie is the MVP here. She probably, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, if she doesn't toss the keys out of the window, who knows? <laughs> exactly correct. You know, and then, and needs to say, I went on to play with the Aston Knights, which I did very well with. And uh, there was an equipment manager by the name of John DiGregorio. John's not with us anymore. And uh, he was a good friend of mine. He played with, uh, he was uh, uh, helping out with the Aston Knights with equipment. And uh, he went back and told Wayne Harden, he said, there's a kid playing Sandlot football out there that's better than anybody on your football team. And the Wayne Harden came out to watch me play one quarter and gave me a full scholarship to go to college. That's amazing. Amazing story. And of course, you go on to become a sixth round pick of the Jets in 1977, which is arguably the best draft in Jets history. I, I think it probably is. Uh, that's incredible. And you also did some boxing. I don't know if people realize that you were actually, a, I think, a two time NCAA club boxing champ. And, and I wonder, because so much of your success as a defensive lineman was hand placement, quick hands, strong hands. I'm wondering if your boxing background played into that. Yeah, I think it has a lot to do with it because of, uh, you know, get there before the other guy does. And, you know, we used to have a, a saying a little bit like, he who gets in first wins. And that's that was my whole theory of get my hands on the offensive lineman before he got his hands on me. And a, a lot more went into it. But uh, I, I attribute the, the my... Um, working with the fighters and with the bags um, made that uh, a big benefit to me. And of course, then you go on to the Jets and have, you know, an incredible career with the Pro Bowls and just moving around the line a little bit. I wonder, I always wanted to ask you this question, Joe, because I think you had, you had 20 something sacks, which was, is just incredible. You think, how things might have played out. What if you had stayed at one position? Did you like moving the different spots? You played nose, you played like a, a cocked nose, you played defensive end, you played pretty much everything. I'm wondering, did you like that? Or did you, would you have preferred to stay at one spot? You know, believe it or not, I had my great recognition, basically a defensive end, but I loved playing nose tackle, you know, because it's different than how they know it. Uh, Bud Carson who came from the Steelers, he did it with Joe Green in a four-man line. And we went to a three-man line, and he wanted me to play that cocked nose position. And he said, do you want to try it? I said, sure. 
And uh, I did. And uh, he allowed me my freedom. And what I mean by that is, you know, defensive football is discipline, gap defense, all that. You know. He allowed me my freedom to go basically wherever I wanted because I, I studied a lot of film and I kind of understood what the team gets we were playing would be doing. And I would give centers fits on where I was going, whether it be play side, the opposite side, or two gaps standing right in front of them. Uh, so it really was, it was totally to my advantage everywhere I looked at it. And I loved it. And I said, but I said, am I doing anything wrong? You know? And he looked at me, he said, you just keep doing what you're doing. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. And that was a compliment coming from such a, 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 a great defensive coordinator, you know, as Bud Carson was, that he allowed me the freedom to do whatever I wanted. And, of course, you played with some really good players, uh, and, and I could go on and on and list them, but I'll list the, the three obvious ones were Marty Lyons, Mark Gastineau, and Abdul Salam, which, of course, every Jet fan knows, you know, formed the New York Sax Exchange, which to this day is the single greatest position group in Jet history. I, and I don't even think it's close for second. I'm wondering, looking back after all these years, Joe, when you think of the New York Sax Exchange, what sort of, what sort of memories flash in your mind? Well, just, you know, when you play football, it's it's fun to be feared. And, you know, when we were going against the team and, and it was third down in a, in a, a long yardage, we loved it because you knew they were going to try and dump the ball, get rid of it quickly. And because we were going to be on top of them, you know, sooner or later within – two to three seconds and our guys in the backfield, you know, they enjoyed it too, because to be able to jump a route and so forth, they, you know, there was certain routes that certain teams loved and, and we made it work for us. And, you know, having that reputation to where, you know, when we got on the field, you know, not only against the pass, but against the run, people didn't run on us either, you know, and uh, we made, we made our presence known and that was pretty cool. You said it's fun to be feared in football. That's a great quote. I imagine when you got down in your stance before the snap, you could probably tell, like looking in the, the offensive lineman's eyes or, or just the way his body language was or the way the quarterback looked, you could probably tell that there was some trepidation on their part as they were getting ready for that snap. Oh, and that's the one great thing about, you know, you know, playing for a long time is you learn that. And, uh, you know, like you say, even though it's interpretation in, in their eyes, you also learn that they're giving things away by their by their body language, you know, so that's what made it even better. Yeah, it's a, it was such a great group of guys and and just a, a interesting, like totally different backgrounds and so forth. I just want to ask you about each guy. And I want you to just, you know, like a word association, give me like a sentence or do the first thing that pops into your head. Um, for instance, Marty Lyons, what what immediately jumps into your mind when I mentioned Marty Lyons? Steady as you get. He was a uh, Marty was, you know, he came from Alabama, which was a great program. And Marty knew how to play football before he got to the pro game. He knew enough about the program to where he was going to step right in and be able to do what he did. And I just think Marty was as, as steady as a rock. And you couldn't get any better. And how about Abdul Salam? Well, Abdul was, a, you know, 
I think his name stood for soldier of peace. And when right. he put his hand in the ground, that was the last thing you thought of. <laughs> he was he was not the soldier of peace because Abdul really raised havoc. And he was a, he was the kind of guy that he made a lot of things happen because, again, he was one of them guys real quick off the ball and real strong. And how about Mark Gastineau? Well, there's no bad Hollywood. Hollywood's the, the word for Mark. And uh, I think he'll he'll understand that. It, you know, Mark wanted to Mark wanted to be the the life of the party, and uh, you know he was such a great player that you know he made it known to everybody else when he did something. And uh, you know, I think Hollywood fits in the best. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Mark had a lot of sacks, of course. Uh, you guys, like, I, that was before I covered the Jets, so I never really covered you guys back then. You always hear stories, uh, you and Mark and so forth. How are you guys now, years later? I mean, I know you do autograph signings for the SAC Exchange. How, how does that relationship, how has that evolved over the years? Oh, very good. You know, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm at peace with everybody. I have no problems with anybody. Mark, Mark finally did. And, uh, you know, he said to me recently, you know, that, uh, you know, he, he while we were playing, uh, that he hated me. And I said, and I, I said to them, I said, I never hated you. I says, the only thing I wanted to do was win. And really winning was the only thing for me. But he's come around full circle now where he's good. We're good friends. That's a, Well, it's good to hear. I mean, and you mentioned him being Hollywood, but actually you had some uh, Hollywood experience. You know, I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, you were in a, a bunch of films, some Burt Reynolds movies. You had small roles like Smokey and the Bandit and, and Cannonball Run, you know. And so you were the guy who actually was in Hollywood a little bit. How did how do you go from, you know, being like a sixth round defensive tackle at a temple to the Jets to being in, in Burt Reynolds movies? Well, I was a truck driver and uh, uh -huh. I when, you know, my first year in the NFL, I made twenty one thousand dollars. Oh and people, people today would scoff at that, I'm sure. But when I got home, I was married and uh, I had to go to work. And uh, when I got home that the first week I got home from playing ball, I had a, a load all ready for me to go. And, you know, I went back to driving a truck for a while and then I turned into the sales department. But what happened was a couple of uh magazine sport and sports illustrated picked up on it and they had a big article on me you know holding up a truck basically you know a spoof spoof mm -hmm. in the in the in the magazine and Bert happened to see it and he was doing Smokey and the Bandit at the time mm -hmm. and matter of fact I got a phone call I was out my mom was at the house my mom said dad uh, she said Joey she said Bert Reynolds called he said he wants you in a movie I said mom you know, did you recognize the 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 boys? Who was it? Like one of the guys? Because not um, he's gonna call you back at midnight tonight, and he's gonna and the Hal Needham called me that night hmm. and uh, talked about being in the movie. It was pretty cool. That's an that's a crazy story. So yeah, you you get home and your mom goes, oh by the way, Joe Burt Reynolds called. And you're, that's it's not you're probably thinking that's someone you know one of your friends pulling a prank. Oh, sure, I I think it was somebody trying to spoof one. You know because. You know, at this time, you know, it's like the time we went down to Wall Street and we were doing a, 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 a ad for pro kids and we pulled down Wall Street, you know, the actual street where, where the bull is. And uh, we we were uh, pulled up to the exchange and 
there was wall to wall people everywhere. You know, we, we were not used to this, you know, this was uh, New York at its best. And uh, we were getting, uh, uh, you know, all the, all the accolades of, of being a great team now, you know, and here there's all these people out there looking for us. Incredible guys are like rock stars. Now, I want to ask you, before I let you go, I'm going to get a couple of thoughts just on the current Jets. I know you were at practice recently, uh, got a chance to hang around. And, of course, I think you were at the scrimmage at MetLife Stadium. You know, you follow it closely from your home in New Jersey. So what are your thoughts on this year's team? Can can this year's team break the recent spell of losing seasons? Well, uh, you know, they started off bad for Wilson getting hurt, I mean, didn't help anybody, you know, with their plans. But I don't think Joe Flacco is a step down right now, uh, you know. And uh, I believe that if it was a bad scenario, it turned into a good scenario that uh, have a, a an experienced guy like Flacco to, to lead you into the first game. You know, the question marks are out there for the offensive line still, of course. And, uh, you know, see how well they can perform. Joe Douglas has done a pretty good job by bringing in, you know, the uh, – the players that he's brought in to uh, to fill in the voids, the the rookie running back, I forget his name off the Reese top. Hall, yeah, yeah. I mean, he is just Hall has been absolutely fantastic. And then Sauce Garner, as far as a, a cornerback, supposedly is is bringing in big big credentials with him. So, mm-hmm. you know, the the new guys that he's brought in, you know, uh, hopefully keep our fingers crossed that. They can do and make an impact. Uh, I know I was talking to Coach out there when I was out there, and he was talking about how he's brought in guys that know him very well and uh, are used to his way of coaching. And uh, so that that type of stuff is going to be only a benefit because that's going to lead to the leadership that these young guys need. And being a young team reminds of us reminds me a lot of us where when we were back in the early 80s, we played as hard as you can play and never gave up, and it, it paid off for us. Uh, we didn't know how to say lose, you know, and we had a bunch of young guys that were just willing to pay the price, and that's what we did. Right, and of course, that that team, like from the 77 draft and some of the other drafts, it matured into a playoff team in the early 80s, and I think, obviously, the Jets are hoping to do the same. I have a feeling that a young Joe Klecko would have loved playing in Robert Sala's defense because it's an attacking defense. The linemen, basically their job is just to get off the ball as fast as they can and get in the backfield. I have a feeling that would have suited you pretty well. Oh, absolutely. That was my whole game, you know, you know, you know, beating everybody to the point, you know, and again, the the teams that you see do well, you got to have the players to do it, of course, you know, and they, they seem to have the guys now they have, uh, extra edge rushers that can get to the passer. And that's a big deal because, you know, I mean, you take what Denver did in, uh, in the Super Bowl in New York uh, when they got to Cam Newton, you know, I mean, basically one player basically made a big difference in that game. And, uh, you know, he, he wound up being MVP of the game. Right. So uh, you have a pass rusher or two, they really can get to the quarterback. You're going to do a lot of damage. Well, Joe, thank you so much. No one did it better than Joe Klecko. I think all Jet fans know that. As I said earlier, it's NFL, it's New York Jets royalty. So we're so thrilled and honored that you took the time to spend a few minutes with us here on Flight Deck. Best of luck to you over the next few months. I hope to see you at a game or two. And then, of course, we'll have the big announcement in January. 
continued success, Joe. Thanks so much for taking a little trip down memory lane. Thanks, Rich. I appreciate your time, buddy. All right. Take care, Joe. Bye-bye. And here we go with some Twitter questions reaching into the Twitterverse to come up with these very, very interesting queries. And thank you so much for all these great questions, guys. Uh, it wouldn't be the same show without them. And we're going to tee it off with at Brothers 7 Rich, wouldn't it be wise to sit Zach Wilson for week one instead of rushing him back and causing further injury? He said Sala doesn't have a good track record with injuries. And he'd like them to be cautious, especially versus the Ravens. Uh, brother, I feel you. I am on your side. I agree with you. It would be wise to let Zach Wilson have another week to heal. And ultimately, I think that's what will happen. The next question comes from at Thory. Does Salah have to name a starter for week one or can he keep it a game time decision? Seems like he's mainly keeping it vague to force the Ravens to game plan for two quarterbacks. Deacon. I think you're on to something there. I think definitely gamesmanship has a has a place in the NFL, and I think you're probably seeing some of that right now. And uh, he could let it go to game time, but he's just being a little transparent, which we appreciate in the media. And, of course, we'd probably figure it out anyway. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, he's going to name it on Wednesday, and we think it'll be Joe Flacco. The next question comes from at Jason Oakey. And his question is, Coach Sala said that all three quarterbacks could be starting in the league. What is your guess in how much of a leash does Joe Flacco have until they put Mike White in for the next one or two weeks? You, you know, he suggests maybe a game or a half. Uh, Jason, I think the next quarterback that will be in, assuming Flacco starts, will be Zach Wilson. I don't think there'll be any Mike White in this equation. When Zach Wilson is healthy and ready to play, he will play, according to the coach. Salah has made that very, very clear. He has reiterated that from the first day of the injury that Zach Wilson is his starter. I think fans have a higher view of Mike White than the actual organization does. I think there is a gap between Flacco and White, and uh, I don't think they'd go to White unless it's an injury situation where the first two guys are down. Next question comes from Jimmy Jazz One. Rich Sheldon Rankins was a major disappointment last season. He's an older player with a substantial salary. What is the Jets' justification for keeping him on the roster? Uh, I disagree with the fact. I don't think he was a major disappointment. Uh, I think he was a, a mild disappointment. I mean, they signed him pretty much to be a nickel pass rusher. He had 358 pass rushes last season, which was the second highest on the team, and he had only three sacks. So the production was not great. His $4.5 million salary is guaranteed. It is not a huge salary, so I think and the cap hit is only about $6 million, so that's another reason why I think they're keeping him. It's not a cap situation. But I do agree with you. He needs to be more productive. Another reason why they're keeping him, and quite frankly, they don't have a lot of great options at defensive tackle. Now, of course, they have Quinn and Williams. That's that's one position that's set. But they have Rankins, you know, Nathan Shepard, and Solomon Thomas. And I think Thomas and Shep and Rankins are kind of similar. You know, undersized pass rusher types. Shepard's more of the stay-at-home run defender. So I don't think it's a good situation for that second defensive tackle spot. Uh, 
Next one at Julian Giarte, a one. Which player was the biggest surprise in camp that could impress during the season? Julian, I'd have to say Quan Alexander. You know, he shows up late, didn't have an offseason program, yet he's in practice within a couple of days, practicing, making plays at linebacker. And I think, as I stated earlier, I think he's going to displace, you know, Quincy Williams in the nickel at some point. He's a good football player, Quan Alexander. He's only 28 years old, so it's not like he's old over the hill. His problem is that he's been hurt so much over the last few years, but he looks healthy. He is healthy, and he's a tone setter on defense. He is a big hitter. He's not a big guy, but he's a big hitter, and he brings a certain energy that I think the Jets will find uh, in their best interest to keep on the field as much as possible. And our last question comes from at the Sports Fiend. Given the, uh, the new access to the locker room in the post-COVID world, what have you missed most about interacting with the players in the locker room as a Jets reporter? Any memorable moments during your career? Definitely. Um, we missed being in the locker room. We were in the locker room a few times last week. And I can tell you, for example, like I was just talking to Joe Flacco at his locker about his kids. His, and he was telling some stories on the Jets' in-house uh, show called One Jets Drive about his kids and how they were teasing him about not playing well and yada, yada, yada. So we got into a discussion about kids and, you know, some of the stuff they say. And it was just a really enjoyable moment to get to know a player that I've been kind of at an arm's length from for the last two years. So those are the positives. You get to build some relationships. You get to know the players on a personal level. It helps you report on them. Now, in my career, like just for instance, like a really positive, I, I can name hundreds of positive experiences but one day I was interviewing Curtis Martin and he excused himself for a moment he went around the locker room to pick up some towels and I said what are you doing you know and he said he liked to help keep the locker room clean and help him stay humble you know a superstar running back walking around picking up towels to help out the equipment guys I'm thinking to myself this is Curtis freaking Martin and he's going around doing the job you know that they have assistant equipment guys doing and to me it just said so much about Curtis's uh, his makeup as a person and on the other side of the coin sometimes your interactions are not pleasant way back when I had two offensive linemen yelling and it was like being in front of a stereo two linemen yelling at me at the same time Jeff Criswell and Dave Cadigan didn't like something I wrote in the paper and they went after me, screaming at me, backed me into a corner in the locker room. These guys, about 6'5", six, 6'6", six six, 300 pounds, you know, screaming at me. Uh, I thought I thought it might get physical there for a second. Certainly not by me. I thought maybe they would. And it became a kind of an, it became a back page story in the New York papers. It became a national headline. And a couple of things I remember from that in the aftermath being called up to general manager Dick Steinberg's office to explain what happened and him basically uh, leaning back on his desk with his feet up on his desk, basically dismissing what I had to say and excusing the players, basically saying boys will be boys. And that always turned me off about Dick Steinberg, who I liked as a person, but that particular moment turned me off. He did not take it seriously at all. Uh, but on the other side of the coin, after the game that week, the Jets won. I think it was down in Washington. And James Hasty, the former cornerback, was addressing a group of reporters at his locker. And after the game, 
he actually issued a public apology on behalf of the players to me in front of the uh, all the reporters and in the locker room, uh, apologizing for the behavior of his two teammates. So I, I thought that was a really cool moment, and I thought that was big of James Hasty. So the point of the story is we have locker room interactions all the time. Most of them are very enjoyable. Occasionally they don't go well. You know, occasionally we ask a dumb question or a player says something that just triggers something and it goes off the rails. That's bound to happen. It's inevitable. It's going to happen this year at times. But there's nothing better than face-to-face access, you know, seeing a player, um, you know, making eye contact, you know, enough of the Zoom stuff. We want to be in the locker room. We are in the locker room. And ultimately, I think that benefits the fans because you guys are going to get better access better stories because the players are more relaxed they're a little more candid and that ultimately helps the fan so uh, great question though i really appreciate that appreciate all the questions and i appreciate our guest this week joe klecko a senior finalist for the pro football hall of fame stopping by for flight deck always appreciate joe he that was some great stuff thank to him and thanks to my producer jeff scopin enjoy the game on sunday folks been waiting a while to say this it's opening day jets and ravens we'll talk about it next week on flight deck <laughs>